Hello survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 6 of the show and today we'll be talking about Resident Evil 2, the board game, a project near and dear to all of us. My name is Sinyak, you can just call me Sai, and joining me on the panel this week, cool under fire, at least when there's no hunters around, it's Firebutton Steve Valance. Hello! Recklessly intriguing, or intriguingly reckless, it's Adam Russell Reeves. Just reckless. The Resident Evil 2 board game has been made by him, but he was made in heaven. It's Steamforged own Sherwin Matthews. All right, guys. <laughs> Sorry, that's a terrible intro, but it's the best I can do. It, it's all right, I can I live with that one. one. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be like a whole bunch of kind of like senpai notice me things with like <laughs> heart eyes now looking at me. Excellent. That's fine. This episode of the podcast is being recorded live in the First Aid Spray Discord server, which you can join now to hear unedited podcasts and contribute to the conversation in the text chat, as well as talk to us and other Resident Evil fans about the series. It's also a good place to put yourself forward for file readings, to appear in the show, and to ask questions for our bite-sized discussion segment. You can find a link to the server in the description of the podcast or on our social media accounts. Of course, we'll be starting with this week's edition of The News. All right then, top of the head then, our first bit of news. Laced Records have revealed two Resident Evil soundtrack LPs for the 2002 version of the remake and 1998's version of Resident Evil 2, which will be available in April. I actually just double-checked the website. That headline is slightly wrong. Apparently they've pushed it back to May, but nonetheless, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll let you edit this then, Si. It will <laughs> soon be available in May. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be doing a sort of unboxing or whatever video for this because I have I pre-ordered these the day they went up. Um, they're still available now if you're interested in picking them up. Um, I don't believe they're limited edition if you're looking for the just the classic black LPs, but there was coloured variants that are out of stock now. So I'll be doing a little video on them um, as I have started to sort of collect a little bit of vinyl. Uh, they're going for about thirty-three euros. So. If you're interested in collecting video game soundtracks on vinyl, which is kind of a rare commodity, uh, I'd say Remake and Resident Evil 2, this is, there's a pretty good pair of games. An odd choice in a way, but a good pair of games to have. I would say the aesthetics, isn't it? The Remake's red and the uh, Resident Evil 2 is blue, is that right? Yes, that sounds right. And I think the Resident Evil 2, the like the in sort of inner circle of the vinyls has like the ink ribbon kind of logo on it, so it kind of looks like that. And stuff like that. The fold-outs look wonderful. Hence why I was like, yeah, we definitely should do a video and show these off. Oh, that is cool. Do they still have the typos from the remake? <laughs> or is that I guess, too far? Yeah, maybe we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Watch this space. Okay, so our next bit of news then. Resident Evil's Nintendo Switch ports are releasing in May and are available for pre-order now. I believe this is uh, remake Resident Evil 0 and Resident Evil 4. It is indeed. Um, I think... Currently in the low, chat low at the moment. price of a million dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was just going to get into that. Am I the only person here with a Switch currently? Uh, at the moment, I, I have haven't. A Switch. I got a Switch. Oh, okay, fair enough. Anyone else interested in picking these up at all? No. <laughs> I mean, I could always because do another the copy of Resident Evil so, 2. They're yeah, so I'll... expensive, though. That's the problem. Well, yeah, I was going to get into that. Unfortunately, there is no 2. It is the HD versions of Remake and Zero. And the, oh. it's Resident Evil 4, you know, as it's been ported previously, 
uh, a lot of the issue mm. with this is the pricing. Even so, if you're in the US, thirty dollars, people are a little bit annoyed about that in general. But the pricing is exactly the same uh, in the UK. It's thirty pounds, which is kind of oh. nonsensical. Yeah, um, oh, those classics for Jerus. That sucks for you guys. I mean, thirty dollars is still something I I expect them to be about twenty bucks each. Mm. Um, thirty is a is pushing it. I might still go for remake. Because I love remake and having yeah. it on the Switch and being portable is nice. Yeah. Well, this is what I said when they first announced it. I I made a tweet that said, you know, you give me another chance to buy a remake, I'll do it. But I'm not doing it for £30. That is pretty much the amount of money sort of you would expect to pay if you bought Remake and Zero together on the PlayStation or the Xbox. And now they're expecting you to pay that price for just one of those games. And the problem with that is... There's this thing oh, wait, this about a, a combination pack. It's all individually. They're all quid. they're all individually, and if you Oof. go on the eShop now, you can check to see the size of the games, which is a factor in this because they've got this. I can't remember what they call it. It's the Switch tax, I think, is what they call it, which is basically <laughs> oh, no. yeah. Sorry. Some games will be increased price on the Switch because of the cost that it takes to make the cartridge over a disc, because they tend to be a little bit more pricey to produce, which is fine because you've got all these different kind of cartridge sizes and that will kind of denote how much go it can fit on the cartridge will denote how much the cartridge is going to take to produce. Therefore, you can figure out how much the game is going to cost to buy. The problem with that being there is no physical release, at least not in the UK. I think Japan might be getting some, maybe, but we're not getting any physical release. Same with Resident Evil Revelations when they came to the Switch. These guys aren't getting any physical releases, so why are we expected to pay such exorbitant prices which were clearly put in place for the so-called Switch tax? It makes no sense to me. I, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a bit miffed about this, honestly, because any of these on the go would have been great, especially remake. But now I'm totally turned off by the whole thing. Yeah, I, it's weird to think that. I mean, it can't have cost them that much extra to port these over for the Switch. The Switch doesn't have any bizarre like extra features mm. or anything that would, would would enable them to be like well, we had to put this much extra effort into porting it. Um, so it's, it is an odd... For such for such old games that have been sort of ported so many times yeah. now, it's, yeah. it's very weird for them to, to put that price tag on it. I feel like at, at a, like £10 or, 20, or $10 lower lower price, you're probably going to sell more yeah, and make more money. Yeah, you know, it's true. So. With especially with a lot of the hype surrounding the franchise at the moment, people will be like, "Hey, I've never exactly. played these before," or "Hey, I haven't played them in forever. Let's jump back into Resident Evil Four. But you're not going right. to pay thirty pound for a straight port of Resident Evil Four on the Switch when you can pick it up on any other console for a third of the price or less at this point, probably less. Yeah, for sure. Maybe maybe they'll do a bundle of the games I'm for a decent so. price. I mean, hopefully, but we'll see. Yeah, I Honestly, won't be getting these unless they go on sale. And uh, uh, of the three, uh, one of them definitely isn't worth thirty pounds. I'm not trying to be funny, but Resident Evil Zero <laughs> is is too. That's too much. That's asking too much. I mean, I can sort of see it on a kind of. Oh, I'm a bit flush with cash today. I'll get remake or I'll get four. But zero definitely is never nowhere near worth. <laughs> yeah, that's right. kind of fair, I guess. Resident Evil Two has now surpassed one million sales on Steam, which is now more than Resident Evil Seven. That's pretty amazing, actually. It is, considering it's been out two months almost as of the time of recording, and Resident Evil 7 is, what, two years old? It, that's an insane it's, difference. The thing is, is it's very encouraging. 
uh, I think it means that we are going to get, you know, that we should probably see another um, title soon. I would expect they're probably going to, you know, put it up their, their ladder of things to get done. And I expect they will have the same sort of, uh, attention drawn to it in terms of uh, from Capcom's end, so I, I hope that's a good thing. You know, I hope I hope it means we uh we get some nice stuff. Oh, you got to I mean, you've got to factor in that Resident Evil Two has been like a lot of people's radar since they initially announced it. A lot of people are straight on, oh, I want this when it comes out. Whereas Seven was a little bit more, I'd say niche. I mean, it went mm. with a different camera angle, new plot, new characters. Might have turned a few people off. Whereas Resi 2, we all know Leon and Claire, so maybe that has a factor. I don't know. Maybe that's just me being a bit, I think it's, bit picky. It's interesting. It just it's one of those things that almost in a way you kind of can't predict what's going to take off. And I think Resident Evil 7 generally had a pretty good response. But compared to Resident Evil 2 taking over social me media for like a whole week, it was positively silent by comparison. Resident Evil 2 is just this um, yeah, this juggernaut of all kinds of memes and it was the hot game to stream and all kinds of stuff like that. And as we said previously, on a week that Kingdom Hearts 3 is also coming out, it really did go toe-to-toe -to -toe with that game as well, which is pretty impressive. I don't think, like, if it's Resident Evil 3 next, and it's highly likely considering the success that it's had, um, I don't think that'll have quite the overwhelming uh, sort of response in social media. I think this is... Yeah, this is a really special one-off kind of occasion with Resident Evil 2. But yeah, it, I would imagine they're going to look at this and move in that direction appropriately. You see, you say it's Resident Evil 3 next. We know it's actually going to be Gaiden. <laughs> Bring it on. Make it canon. It's going to be the events of Resident Evil 3, but set on a cruise ship. <laughs> it's going to be Resident Evil 3 Gaiden edition. <laughs> yeah. Um, so our last bit of news then. Resident Evil as a franchise has now surpassed 90 million sales. I believe that makes it the best-selling Capcom series, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, it has been for quite some time, but it's just another yeah. a nice little landmark. Is that higher than Monster Hunter? Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. But you yeah. have to imagine Resident Evil, as we speak now, is now 23 years old, so it's got, you know, a little bit of, of a head start. Monster Hunter is definitely gaining on it. I know that much. Um... I'm looking at the Wikipedia right here for the best-selling franchises, and it really isn't too far off, all things considered. So Monster Hunter, most likely going to get up to that in pretty due time. But this makes Resident Evil uh, in the top 20 um, best-selling video game franchises of all time, if it wasn't already. And uh, in the top 10, I believe, as pointed out by CVX Freak on Twitter, in terms of franchises made by Japanese developers. So that's pretty cool. Um, just a nice little fact to end news, I suppose. Mm. Okay, cool. Well, with that all out of the way, we'll move on to our discussion of Resident Evil 2, the board game. And now, reading the file Mercenary's Diary from Resident Evil 3 Nemesis, Glenn Bolthwis, who you can follow on Twitter at YonShadyGlenn. September 1st. Following six months of intensive training, my body's edge had returned. I was a good soldier, but they ordered my execution with no reason given. I was tortured and forced to give a false confession. But on the morning of my execution, a miracle happened. The company had helped me out, giving me a second lease on life. September 15th. 
I ended my vacation short and returned to the HQ office. It looks like my UBCS unit's been called into action. Umbrella maintains its own paramilitary unit to counter corporate terrorism and VIP abduction. In addition, they have nightmen who specialize in handling problems caused by illegal products. I'm currently a member of the latter. September 28th. Dawn's here, but we're still slugging through this nightmare. There are no provisions of any kind here. The undead walk the streets, feeding upon the flesh of the living. Given the choice again, I would rather have been executed. Death Row was a heavenly asylum compared to this place. I've chosen to pull the trigger myself, in the hope that my dead body won't come back to life. So our main subject at hand on this particular episode is Resident Evil 2, the board game. It's a subject that's very important to all of us, uh, because out of the four of us here, we've all kind of met each other or grown our friendships via that project. And in one in particular case, you know, we're the creator of that project. But there you go. So for those of you who don't know what it is, and I know some of us audience, some of our audience is already familiar, we've mentioned it before because we're part of that community, but I'm sure we've got listeners that are more curious and may have missed the boat on it. Let me just quickly explain a few elements of it before we deep dive into our personal experiences. Resident Evil 2 The Board Game is a cooperative survival horror game, one to four players that closely follows the story gameplay and design elements of the classic 1998 Resident Evil 2. Players take their characters through the streets of Raccoon City into the RPD in a bid to search for survivors, down into the sewers and the umbrella-owned underground labs. The game is broken down into scenarios with specific layouts and objectives that familiarly reflect those found in the source material and players can play any of them separately as or as part of a campaign. The game still instills this survival horror fight-or-flight conundrum, much in the same way that the video game did. Items are scarce, enemies are tough, and Resident Evil 2 the board game has elements of unpredictability with the encounter table and the tension deck that can change the situation on a moment's notice. Resident Evil 2 the board game's Kickstarter launched on the 25th of September 2017 and got nearly twice its funding in the first day, finishing on 533% of its goal. The game is now out in retail, for those of you that missed it, with additional expansions that are either out now or coming soon, depending on where you are, that offer more content, such as B-Files, which reflects the second scenario of the game and the stalking T-00 Tyrant, Survival Horror, which is a collection of new enemies, new playable characters, additional zombie sculpts, etc. There's two malformations of G expansions which bring every form of the William Burke and G mutation to the game with unique boss fights and fourth survivor a combination of PvP modes and a single player challenge including hunk and tofu of course. So let's start from the top um, and I want to ask everyone maybe save Sherwin what was your first experience with the Kickstarter where were you you know were you there on day one did you come a little bit later uh, Steve how did you first hear about the board game so I, I'm probably I'd imagine I'm gonna be the misnomer here I was very late I was uh, I, I think we were like a week or maybe two weeks away from closing the actual initial Kickstarter and I was uh, just basically pinged by a friend who went Hey Steve, you like Resident Evil, right? Check this out. And then I, I don't use Kickstarter more than once. And <laughs> I basically went, you know what? I've just been paid. <laughs> and I just went all in. So yeah. And it was case the way I saw it was I don't I don't really play table. I haven't up until like now I'm, I'm playing a bit more, but I, up until before I haven't played many tabletop games. So the way I figured it was, if I can't play the game, I've at least got these really kick-ass looking sculpts and models. So <laughs> so I, I just went in on that. That was pretty much my. Uh, 
my first encounter, so Fair to speak. enough. Adam, were you there at day one? Uh, yes. Yeah, I was there day one. I had previously backed um, Steamforged Games Dark Souls Kickstarter, so I got a an email showing me that they were doing Resident Evil 2, and I got very excited. Um, I was, I think, back at number 27, so I was in pretty early. Wow, yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I was pretty much all in from the get-go. I think I just put a bunch of money into it and just wait to see what went extra and just changed it after. Yeah. I think I started. I, I think I, I just threw in, like, nearly $500 just into my pledge, and I was just like, well, let's just see what happens, and I'll just uh, I'll just change it to whatever we get to. That's so, uh <laughs> nice. <laughs> Must be nice. It was money I was actually I was actually saving the money for the Batman Kickstarter by Monolith, but Resident Evil tempted me over too much and I just ended up doing that instead. My experience with it was I'm pretty sure there was a post I'm not I don't even think it was like a it might have been like a mini trailer a few days or maybe a week beforehand that I just saw crop up on Facebook, I think. So I was there on day one. And I had a growing interest in tabletop stuff, but I, I'm, I'm fairly sure I went into it with, well, let's take a look at it because um, I know what time it's going to launch and just scroll through and have a look. And I wasn't really necessarily thinking too hard about backing it, but when I saw what it was, um, I'm pretty sure I was like back a 40 or something. So I was pretty early on it as well. It didn't take long to convert me, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I wound up with, everything from it by the end of it um i had to essentially scrape together money and and beg friends and, and was gifted stuff to get it all all the expansions and all the exclusives um but my earliest memories is that and hanging out in the kickstarter comments and then obviously the community that was born from that which is how you and i met adam because you made the facebook right. group um which we'll talk about a bit more probably near the end but you made the Facebook community. I came in there and was just endlessly posting stuff. So without asking me, you made me admin. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it's just grown from there. Uh, podcasts really wouldn't exist without that. So that's kind of cool. And that's why we need to do a whole episode on it. So fast forward, I suppose, around about two years time, um, the game begins shipping we, out uh... to everybody. How about we, we – can we rewind a little bit? Sure. Because I would love to know how Sherwin found out about Absolutely. Resident Evil. <laughs> so Sherwin found out about Resident Evil. Uh, so let's let's rewind way, way back to uh, probably about a year and a half before – no, probably about a year before the Kickstarter. And I was talking with uh, Steamforge's creative director, my boss, a guy called Matt Hart. And he just casually dropped in. I don't think he knew the extent of my uh, of my fandom at this stage. He just casually dropped into the conversation. Oh, we're going to make a Resident Evil game. Sherwood's <laughs> <laughs> head goes. <laughs> no, no, Sherwood's head did exactly do that. And then I kind of looked at it and tried to keep as casually as I possibly could. Said, oh, "Okay, which one?" And he went, "Yeah, Resident Evil 2. And that's oh. when the head explosion happened. Right? <laughs> Literally, it that. would have been so much. Worse for you if he had said, you know, Mila Jokovic. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of the thing that stopped me from like losing my shit initially. <laughs> and uh, we kind of we got there, and and it's we were actually driving up to the 
where are we going? I think we were going up to Manchester, up to HQ for some reason or another. And I kind of, by the time we got there, I'd managed to convince him where I think he was just kind of like, okay, so you, you're going to be lead developer for this, right? Because <laughs> I because I just talked at him for about four and a half hours solid about how much I loved the game to the point where he just went, because at this point I wasn't actually involved in game development at all. Um, and he kind of went, okay, so no, you can make that game because you seem to have an awful lot of ideas. Like at that point, uh, stuff like uh, how the uh, ammunition track, how the ammunition dials work, for example, um, how the originally Matt's concept had it as a uh, like a you had a dungeon master playing as an the umbrella character, hmm. and we kind of started off of that in terms of how enemies would move around and that sort of stuff. Uh, Matt had some initial ideas about uh, open play area and stuff. Loads of different points. And uh, so many times during that conversation, all of these are great ideas. This was just pure design, um, pure design territory where it's kind of just, if you can imagine two game designers just sitting there riffing ideas at each other. Except one of these guys is like Mr. RE guy and is just like, nope, that doesn't fit. It's not on brand. Nope, <laughs> no, <laughs> not doing it that way, Matt. It's not how it's going to work. Um, but no, that's that's really my intro to what RE2 the game was, other than the legendary story of the uh, the port where Matt kind of said, oh, we, we get to HQ and uh, Matt says, and we walk into the room and I, I can't, Matt went off to whatever meeting he was. He spent about 10 minutes at that meeting and the next thing he knows I've appeared and I've just drawn every single map from memory on graph paper. I'm like, Look, this is how much I know. Look, we can do this. <laughs> and he's kind of looking at it. And he's, at that point, he kind of sees this crazy man in front of him and goes, uh-huh. Sure. Oh, <laughs> he thinks oh, I've made a mistake. No, actually, no, knowing my boss, it's actually he just sat there and thought, you know, this guy wants to run with this idea, so let's see where he gets to. That's fantastic. Because a lot part of, yes, the best thing about Steamforge, honestly, is a person from the inside that people might not be aware of is the people I work, like the people I work with are incredibly... We have an awesome system within our company where if, if you have someone who has an amazing grasp of what that is and they want to take ownership of a game and they can really push it and do stuff with it, then they'll always have a voice in that creative process and they'll always have the opportunity to kind of step forward and kind of prove that in some way, shape or form. And that's kind of exactly where that happened for me, um, honestly. So it's been good. Nice. Well, let's uh, jump to the game being out and being available now. As I said, it's one to four players. Personally, I've been playing it mostly with four people, but I want to hear other people's personal experiences with it. So, uh, Adam, what's your experience been with it? Are you playing it solo, with friends, how many, so on and so forth? I have gone through the first couple missions solo so far. Um, I am trying to get um, anyone that kind of knows me outside of the, the podcast here uh, knows that I am uh, more of a miniature painter. Um, I like to paint models and I'm trying to get the whole set completely painted before I introduce it to my gaming group, just cause I want it to look really nice. And, mm. uh, also give me enough time that I'm so familiar with the game that we won't have that weird first play session where we sit there and just go through the book, like however many times while we play. So, um, my group play is limited, but I'm, I'm having a blast with, the um scenarios i did the tutorial in less than 30 minutes i think that's an s rank or something i get like an <laughs> infinite weapon for that so um <laughs> yeah i'm just having a, a good time with it and enjoying painting 
I did sculpt a little hat onto the tyrant, so I don't know if that upsets Sherwin or if it makes him happy, but... Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of the hat. That's fine. It's size. The one you need to watch out. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming I know. to get that hat. I'm going to wake up and it's going to be gone. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it's great. I, I love the, the sense of Resident Evil 2 that it brings. It, it, it really does feel like the game really well. I've played other um, video game board game ports before, um, and a lot of them feel somewhat generic. Um, but this one really, really feels nice. And I just, the components are all super nice. Um, just having a wonderful time painting the models. I will be posting into the Facebook group within the next few days, my first painting tutorial, um, which will be the zombie Brad Vickers model. Um, and hopefully I'll be posting more and more in the coming weeks for that. So nice. Steve, how has your experience been? Because obviously nice. we've had it a little bit longer than Adam now. I, I realize I should have probably pointed it out because him being in America, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've he's had, had less time to play. Yeah. It's, uh, it's actually marginally similar to Adam because obviously I, I do the whole YouTube bit and I was planning on playing the board game for mm. the channel. But I, I play, I've played the first five scenarios basically to get a feel for it. Only in duos, me and my, uh, my partner, my fiance. And obviously had a blast with it, but I then, as a, as a work colleague I know who's like really into his model painting, probably like Adam, bless him. And I've commissioned him before I put them on camera, I'd rather get them all like dolled up and stuff. So I've had probably about roughly a week's worth of playtime on and off, but only like the first five scenarios to get a feel for it. And then I've shipped them off to my friends. So Fair it's enough. kind of limited, but I genuinely, first time around, I kind of felt like, I was playing it wrong, if you want a better term, because I was like taking, I didn't realize you could fire three shots on the handgun, say, at first, but I was doing it one at a time, and then I was like, oh, these zombies are gaining on me really fast, and I'm not killing them. Uh, but I've since realized, just run, just run and dodge, and then shoot when you have to, and it's feeling more like almost, I know it's not a speed run, but it feels like I'm playing a Resident Evil speed run in board game form, if you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah, there is an element of, uh, like I say, the fight or flightness, there is an element of pace to it. You can't just mm. stand around because uh, you're going to have some serious problems. Definitely. And that's part of the reasons I think it's actually a very fantastic game. So my experience with it turns out then that I probably had the most time with it. I played a little bit by myself when I got it just because I couldn't help getting it all out and having a mess around and that kind of thing. Um, but I knew very early on that I would be able to call on friends that have known about the project since its inception because I wouldn't shut up about it. Um, <laughs> who would be interested to play. So mostly I've played it with four people, which has been really interesting because obviously there's a slight change in dynamics there. The game does balance for it in its own way. And, but scenarios take a, a little bit longer in a way that you kind of you're all discussing what's best, which is kind of cool. I, I really am enjoying the cooperative aspect of it. Um, as Adam said, getting a feel for the rules, we've had a few slip ups and most of those came from me like memorizing old rules during the production of the game and not correctly you know applying what had actually been changed in time but we've played through all of the core game um our most recent session was uh we played with the uh, pvp modes the birkin and the brian irons pvp modes and i think tomorrow we're sitting down and i'm probably going to set up uh some of the b files and we'll make our way through that but I, what astounds me is just the 
the amount of hours we've already put into it, just to play through the core game, um, we had something like four sessions of about five or six hours ago. And maybe that's because we were scrutinizing a lot of, when it gets really tense situations and you're, you're all four of you are talking about, I've got these, you know, moves I can make, what's going to happen at the end of that phase, you know, what, what unpredictable element could be thrown in, how are we going to get out of this one? When it gets really tense is when the game slows down, but in a really good way, because it's almost like playing the game where you like when something jumps out and you kind of like pause as a reaction and you sit there for a second and think, OK, now I need to deal with this. It's kind of like what we're doing, but in board game form. Overall, I think it it does emulate that original experience. And, and Adam said it as well. Um, it feels like the board game. Stevie said it feels like it, but a bit more speed run. That's probably mm. the tension deck, I guess. <laughs> um, and that's just strange to say, isn't it? Like, you know, speed running, but it's a board game, and you can take as long as you need to. <laughs> well, it's for the whole evading past enemies. I, I, well, you know, you take your time to plan your moves, don't you? With the tension deck, yeah. dictate whether you get completely messed up, but it's 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 better to always evade and move past and close doors. I mm-hmm. feel rather than engaging enemies, unless it's something like sizable, like a liquor. But, it's all about knowing the route as well, I guess, in that speed runway. You don't want to waste time going back and forth. Cause exactly, that, yeah. Uh, that's where it's, things start to go awry because you're spawning more stuff and running out of cards and stuff. Does anyone have any particular favourite aspects of the game, whether that's the sculpt, particular scenario designs, or any gameplay elements? Uh, Steve, start with you. See, yeah, the main reason to draw me in the first place was obviously the sculpts, but I, there's something about the game now that I... Uh, I mean, it's been a little while since I've played it, but I do distinctly remember walking into a room... And like, oh, I'm fine. I'll roll the encounter die. Oh, there's a zombie. And now I've got to play the tension deck. Oh, oh, now there's three zombies. And like, <laughs> the, the situation has gone from ah to ah. And <laughs> I, I love that about it because it's like you, you, you're never safe, and you always have to really, really, you know, it's it, that element of randomness, but at the same time, you've got to be quick and tactical. Uh, it's hard to put into words, but initially the sculpts, but now I just love the way the game actually plays. <laughs> to not shell it for you, basically. Fair enough. Yeah, I agree with that would be one of mine as well, is the fact that, like I say, we've gone through the core game already, but I'd happily play that over and over again because of the element of randomness. Like you say, most of the rooms you go into, you've got to roll for them and it's going to tell you what's in there. Then you have to draw a tension deck card at the end of your turn, and that could change everything as well. So those kind of elements, whilst uh, you're kind of playing through the same maps and objectives if you're playing through the game over and over and over again, there's... Lots of changes there, and that before you even took, like, take into account which characters you're playing as well, which further changes it. So there's a lot of variation possible. Uh, Adam, what are you, some of your favorite elements? Definitely, the you know, obviously, to mimic you guys, the models, uh, as, as, a, as a painter, you know, it was um, super gratifying to get physical pieces of characters and, and certain pieces of con like some of the the zombies are um some of them are based on the concept art you know they have the pose mm. you know like the, the female zombie is is a very iconic for me piece of concept art as well as the uh police officer kind of shambling towards you uh concept art both of those related really well to, to miniatures um super gratifying to get hold of those and look at them and paint them um, for me, it's the, the 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 one more interesting thing about the game, which um, 
being someone who plays a fair amount of board games um, and games like this is the campaign system of of character unlocks mm. um, the way the way you progress through it uh, and if you choose to follow the campaign system you know you can you can have Marvin uh, on your team or you you know if you don't save him then he's locked out same with Brad you know there's a way to get him as a team member or or to face him as a zombie um, and that's not something you see in a lot of board games. A lot of board games go through the scenarios and you have X amount of characters you can choose from and that never changes. And, you know, um, so for me, it's that that sense of progression um, I really love about this game. It, it definitely feels like, you know, starting as such a limited character base and building up this roster of characters is a very exciting thought. Indeed. And so that's mostly survival horror expansion stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, thinking about it, yeah. Yeah. Which is probably the personal favourite of mine, if I'm honest. But, uh, yeah, out of all the expansions. Mm, yeah, I, it's, I, it's like Adam said, the, the the optional things you can do and these like little achievements to unlock extra characters and like having a whole roster to unlock. It's very compelling. Plus, to be fair, the survival horror one, whilst the core game has everything that you need to play in it, it adds so much more in general because obviously the core game comes with a decent number of zombies you've got dogs and liquors uh, and two boss fights whereas if you buy the survival horror expansion you're then introducing like the spiders and the plants and stuff like that which just to just to bulk it out and you know it it brings it closer to that original experience and offers more of a challenge if that's what you're looking for like i'm mm. sure many many people who backed everything I don't know, there are some people out there that did kind of like a pure run and, and didn't introduce any elements, but I'm sure most players were just like, yeah, I've bought everything, let's put everything in. And just like making a list of all these adjustments that you get to make by inserting the Gatling gun in this scenario and plants and crows and stuff, which it gets crazy, but in like an, like, look how much cool stuff I have away. <laughs> so with the way the rule books have been written and laid out, I kind of feel like it's built to be incremental, isn't it? So uh, I think when it comes down to fully setting down and playing it, I'm probably going to do core game first, then core game with survival horror, yeah. then B-files, then B-files with survival horror and so on. Yeah, that's fair enough. One that, that I saw um, Sharky was doing when he's playing it, he's kind of separated it. So the four core players are kind of separated so that he'll play through the A game with Leon and Ada, I think, and then the B files with Claire and Kendo specifically. I was like, that's kind of cool in its own way. I hadn't even thought about that. But yeah, it's just a, just another way to play. Mm. Adam, do you have any particular favorite expansions while we're on the subject? Uh, I mean, you can't go wrong with uh, Hunk and Tofu, everybody's favorite uh, <coughs> guys, um, simply because I feel like it adds... Um, the Hunk and Tofu Fourth Survivor expansion is adding on um, uh, a more specified solo game for you. Um, I don't get too many chances to get my gaming group together. and we, we have a few other games that we play, so it's not often that I can sort of introduce another game to the mix. Mm. Um, so it's nice to have a, a... I know you can play the main game solo, but to me, the Fourth Survivor is great because it is... Um, a, a dedicated solo experience. So, you know, it's more of a challenge. And it, I really like that expansion a lot. Um, I want to say, you know, the survival horror expansion, but you guys have gone through that all already. And 
I don't need to add anything to that. That is probably the best expansion. Um, but Four Survivor is excellent and everybody loves Hunk, so... This is true. And also, to be fair, there is more to it than that as well because the there's the multiplayer um, extra scenarios that are in that book. Right. The, the battle mm-hmm. game ones, which are... For sure. Which would be interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing exactly how that works because that's kind of campaign-based as well. So I'm interested to see how that works. If I had to pick one, I almost feel like at this point it needs to be brought up. I feel like it's come up in the podcast before but unexplained because it's a meme in the community and nowhere else. Um, so obviously, as we've talked about before, everything from Resident Evil 2 pretty much is in this game. You'd be hard-pressed to really find much that hasn't been uh, found its way into the board game in some form. But over the course of the Kickstarter, there was various pieces that people were asking for that weren't included, like missing enemies, as such as the crow and the moth. And Yay. it became... A little bit of a campaign of sorts. The, the Kickstarter Thank comments, indeed, filled up with <laughs> some sort of weird cult of people typing <laughs> hashtag praise the moth. It's not weird. <laughs> it's not it, weird. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And I remember it's such, my memory's terrible for like little details like this, but I have such a specific memory because I remember during that October I was on holiday with some friends and we were either coming back or we were on the road to somewhere and we pulled into a petrol station and I got an email and I pulled it out and it was an update from Steamforge to say that the moth was coming as an expansion to the board game. And I just remember like laughing so loudly that that was a thing and it was acknowledging hashtag praise the moth. Just a wonderful little moment of the community starting something that became a reality and yeah, got a little bit of love for that when I pulled out the murder from above expansion and think it's pretty cool someone tried to make a t-shirt <laughs> yeah, we, at one point. Nice. yeah yeah there was a lot of <laughs> stuff going around for that <laughs> good stuff does anyone have I, any I particular... also want, oh sorry go on i wanted to call out the um the my favorite thing of any board game i have a weird thing about it but it's doors and the resident evil doors are great they I, are great. I know they're exclusive so but you can find them out there um but the fact that they're not all just the same door and they are actually doors from Resident Evil mm. um, is wonderful. I love them. I love my little doors. It's true. And shout out to Obi from the Facebook group who's made the, uh, the little app with all the sound effects. That's oh, how we yeah. play now. Plug that into the speakers so that you can have the opening and closing door sounds appropriate to the door that you're opening. It's, <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous, but it's wonderful. There's like 30 uh, of them in there in our little box. It's like there's a load. Yeah, there is a lot. There's five kinds split 30, so it's a pretty decent mix. Uh, do you guys have any particular characters that you've enjoyed playing as the most so far, um, starting with Adam? Um, so I played through my first with just the classic Leon-Claire combination. I haven't branched out into any other of the models yet because... Um, if if you don't paint the models, uh, the dice rolls aren't good for them. So uh, <laughs> I have to wait till they're painted so they have good dice rolls. <laughs> that's <So> superstitious. <laughs> funnily enough, that's how I feel about Fourth Survivor. If you're not listening to the new Hunk theme from Remake Two, your run's not going to go as well. <laughs> also, um, so uh, something that one of my friends used to do actually was a, a, a little bit of a sidebar, but. He would play um, a lot of miniatures games very competitively, and he had a very competitive nature to him. And if his dice didn't roll well, 
he would he would put one of the dice in the freezer um, and then he would line all his <laughs> dice up like around the frozen dice as if they're like spectators and then he would smash the frozen dice with a hammer and and tell them and tell the people tell the other dice this is what happens if you don't roll good you couldn't do that you couldn't do that you couldn't do that with the resident evil dice because they're, they're special dice and you would run out so don't don't do that friends <laughs> or, or do because you just have to buy more and it's more money for steam <laughs> true yeah a 4k commissar <laughs> that's amazing steve any particular character preferences with your time with the game so far so we i've only had hands on with three i've had to go with uh, basic claire well no standard claire standard leon and marvin and marvin because damn you know <laughs> it's just durability is important <laughs> term. and that matters a lot in the board game because I'm a silly bugger who tries to go for shots, misses, and then gets bit a lot. <laughs> so it, it gels well with my cavalier style. If I had to pick between Leon and Claire, probably Claire, because I'm normally a support guy and Claire's skill obviously makes it so she's really good at that. And Leon's kind of just cool under fire, isn't he? That's his um, mm. shoot while still in the same time, uh, the same square. Yeah. So yeah, if I had to, if, if I had to pick, it's a mixture of Claire and Marvin. More That's Marvin than Claire. Enough. Marvin is our MVP from our group, definitely. Um, by chance, when I kind of just sat down with everyone and said, okay, these are the four base characters, choose them, I wound up with Claire, which is fine by me because she's my favourite character. So it just happened coincidentally. So she's the character I've played as most. But in terms of my favourite, that's difficult. I really like characters with particularly interesting abilities. So I'm tempted to say Ben for his ability to discard an item, put it at the bottom of the deck and draw something else. I really like that. Um, but Ada's is also really good. She's really sort of balanced for if you're playing with some different kind of tactics. Since she has two abilities, she's the only base character to have two, I think. Um, but Ada is actually the most popular character on our server. I actually put up uh, a weekly poll. This is something that we've got going on in the Discord server now where I'm polling members of the community. And this week's was, uh, which base character do you or would you most like to play as in Resident Evil 2, the board game? And Ada ran away with it. So, fair to say I'm with the majority on that one, I guess. So hers is Everybody like loves Ada. Stuff, isn't it? Yeah, she has the ability to take a turn whenever, which is very appropriate. And, uh, <laughs> Ada, wait! To, exactly. And <laughs> also the ability to ignore a tension deck card, which is very, very, very useful until you wind up drawing something worse later, of course. But there you go, it happens. That's all the fun of it is knowing oh, yeah. is not knowing when you want to get rid of it. Oh, then What's that's why I was. Favorite? <laughs> so that's an interesting one. Um, I last time I was asked this, I said Annette because I just mm. come out of testing Annette. Uh, she was the last character to get locked, and I just come out of testing her and was really happy of how she come out. Um. But the one I keep coming back to whenever I've played since is Brad. Um, Interesting. Because you could do crazy things with Brad that make no sense. Um, <laughs> and that's just... He, he, Brad breaks the game more than any other character. And I think it's... I, I like using him for stress testing, if I'm entirely truthful. But it's also something so... 
it feels so characterful in my head. I'm always I'm perpetually playing that scene from Resident Evil Three where you see him just shouting "scum" as he guns down zombies <laughs> and just runs past. <laughs> that's all he does in the game. He never actually kills anything. He just runs away. Um, it's super fun. I, I really like playing as Brad. He can like use his bullets as escape rolls, can't he? Something like that. Is that right? Effectively, he can turn bullets into evade dice. Ooh. And when he evades, he evades two squares rather than one. <laughs> so that's a so character he's the that ultimate I'm... speedrunner. Yeah, yeah. That, that, it could mean you could probably get like tactical speed moves if you're like, ah, oh, my last move of the turn. So if I try and run past an act to evade and then fire a bullet, and then sorry, my <laughs> yeah. brain's doing the math. Like that's <laughs> really <laughs> cheeky. Let's yeah. let's throw a couple other things into that as well. He also avoids uh, intervening zombies or enemies, and also corpses when he makes that two square move. So you can gun it, so you can angle it. So if you don't want to make rolls for, uh, yeah, tripping over, uh, tripping over corpses and stuff, you can angle it so that you hit the evade and then just dash straight over it like Mario, just jumping over his head. <laughs> <laughs> he's Super one of those characters. Braddy. Super Bradio. Yeah, <laughs> he's one of those characters that I look at and I'm like, I really want to try this out, but I'm also terrified of how badly it could potentially go if, if you slip up. It's the same thing with Sherry. It's like she's so different. And I kind of want to try it, but I don't really want to bring the whole scenario down if I do it wrong. <laughs> yeah, but Sherry, you really feel it because as much as she's really good at what she does, you feel you immediately miss having that extra, the ability of being able to attack stuff. Yeah, you feel like you're being babysat. Uh, kind of, but it's more so much <laughs> your, you, you're fine. It's your allies just constantly going, you can't help us. <laughs> like, we're trying to fight off all this stuff and all you're doing just running around tagging along so you get all of your bonuses and um yeah thanks for that sherry thanks for that <laughs> yeah it's, it's <laughs> but then yeah hey it's we were trying to emulate that sense i think we we i think we successfully emulated that sense where you know as a sherry player so every so often you've got to stop you know crouch down and hug your knees and uh enjoy the people <laughs> playing because you know they have to wait for you to catch up <sighs> So before we move on to our list of questions for show and to answer from the community, which is the second portion of this discussion, we should wrap up with kind of what we started with the community there. Do you guys have any particular memories of the community or favorite moments, whether that's seeing all the recent uh, homebrew stuff that people have made or, or some of the stuff beforehand, just the random discussions that people would have in excitement for the board game? leading up to this moment. Um, Adam, you're admin, so uh, why don't you go first? Yeah, mine is probably definitely um, a bit more, it's a bit more quote-unquote behind-the-scenes enjoyment. Um, you know, I was kind of, I had a bit of back and forth with the Steamforge guys in the um, Dark Souls chat, and, and I had enjoyed conversing with them there. Um, in their when it was Kickstarter, so when Resident Evil popped up, um, I knew I wanted to sort of have a, a community around the game, and I know that Kickstarter comments aren't the best place just because they're not searchable and you can't have conversations that kind of come back and forth. So um, I decided to start the uh, Facebook group, and um, I was lucky that that Cy joined because he was really like a driving force for the group. Like I, I'm happy to have the group going and, but Cy really like just pumps out the content. So that's great. Um, and, and, and the Steamforge guys kind of all joined on and I knew early on, I didn't want 
them to have to worry about like, oh, this group, you know, people are going to be hassling us. So I kind of tried to make it so that they didn't have to deal with any of the, the parts of this game. And if needed, we could go to them and say, hey, this, these are ideas or whatever. So, and they were very gracious with that. Sherwin, you know, we talked to him a lot and he's always super gracious about any ideas people have and stuff. So um, my, my, my favorite thing has, has been having a group and growing it to, you know, we're over a thousand members now and, and people contribute and there's really not a lot of drama in there, which is wonderful. Um, and, uh, yeah, just having, I mean, like being on the podcast, talking with Facebook, Steve and talking with, <laughs> talking with Sai, you know, and, and we talk, I mean, we, we talk in our, in our admin chat, you know, we just, you know, talk every week. We just talk about random stuff, things we're enjoying, you know, things to do with a group and yeah, it's just been a blast. I've really enjoyed it. It's added to my hobby enjoyment um vastly yeah absolutely mine's quite similar i think I, in a way i almost kind of have nostalgia for those early days where it was all brand new and there was just you know so much to speculate about on this and everyone getting really Wild excited West. about all the new updates but i love the this the shift now that the game is out seeing all the crazy stuff people are making and i said that early on you know I'm no painter. I, I I don't see myself ever being like picking that up. But I just love every post of like painted models. I love staring at them, being like, "That's so cool," you know. It's been a it's been an interesting wild ride. And as I said at the top, um, the podcast wouldn't exist without it. And and my love for Resident Evil has really grown with it yeah, at the same kind of time. So that's pretty cool. Steve, any particular fond memories of the community? So, uh, as I said earlier, I was like late to the bus on this one, wasn't I? Mm. But uh, I think it was you, Sai, you actually invited me onto the Facebook page, and I yeah, was kind of blown I away. That. Yeah, I was I blown away that. with like just how, ah, oh, it's a Resident Evil community, and we're not all at each other's throats. <laughs> how peaceful is this place? And then uh, I think we're coming up to the, the heady days of the very the very deep political campaign of Licker versus Hunter. And explaining, um, that someone was just explaining it, praised them off to me, and then I just took the meme and I was mostly like, this is ridiculous, I love it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, just this general camaraderie and people getting along, it was brilliant, as opposed to, yeah, I mean, we've all seen Resi fan pages where they just devolve into requests for this or trying to like show how great they are. And yeah. It's, it's fun. It's no fun. Whereas we've had genuine creativity, like um, Colin's little RE1 stuff and RE3 stuff. And it's mm. always cool to see. And the, the kit bash stuff that people make is like, yeah, that is fantastic. Like the um, someone showed, was it a Resident Evil 1 theme set they were building? Yeah, that's pretty recent. And it looks amazing. Uh, some of the characters may or may not be a little OP. You, Jill. <laughs> um, but it's wonderful. It's wonderful to see those things. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, it's mind-blowing because it's just great seeing people make stuff. Here's to you, community. And with that, we're going to move on to your questions. And now, reading the file Suicide Note from Resident Evil 2002, the Oracle Dragon from crimson-head.com, who you can follow on Twitter at the Oracle Dragon. June 22nd, 1998. I had to do it. We ran from those things, helping each other to survive, but Robert... started to show the symptoms. <laughs> we had to do it. <laughs> Stamp things are pure evil. There was no other 
wait! He would have done the same if it were the other way around. After I put him out of his misery, I had to just put him in the bathroom. Now, I'm probably the last one. How could this happen? I'll never forgive myself for being part of this project. Eventually, I'll get what's coming to me, though. There's no way to escape from this nuthouse. It's just a matter of time now. Everything is set. All I need is a little courage to get it done. Knowing that I'll leave many things undone is regret beyond words. But this is better than just waiting to turn into one of them. Please. Please understand. And at least let me end my life as a person. <laughs> Linda, please forgive me. So this section is all about the community questions that have been uh, put forward to show and to answer. So before we get into those, I'm just going to quickly list some of the names. So special thanks to Mike Martin, Brian Sharkey, Colin Ryan, April Corbett, Joshua Darren. Lyle, Alfred, Richard Green, Florian Wagner, Aurelian Petit, Michael Early, Nicholas Billy, Rich Garner, Simon Skeptic, Scott Rhodes, Kevin Flood, and anyone else I may have missed. I apologise, and I apologise if I got your name uh, wrong, but let's roll right into it. Steve, why don't we start with you? Okay then, Sherwin. So, I think we've already covered this earlier on the podcast, but I have to officially ask it as part of the team. How did the project come about? <laughs> so... I mean, obviously, I can speak from my perspective, uh, which I think I did already speak about, which was uh, finding out about it during a, uh, a trip up to HQ from my uh, from the creative director of Steamforge. But um, in terms of the project before that, uh, I believe that our creative director, Matt, back once again, uh, he used to work uh, for Capcom. He was actually a um, he was actually a producer for Devil May Cry, and uh, he obviously has friends in terms of uh, the video game circles, which is one of the reasons why we uh, we get on quite so well with people. And I I don't know I don't know whether Capcom approached us or we approached Capcom. That part I'm not familiar with, uh, but I do know that's pretty much the original conversation would have happened there. So um, yeah, slightly roundabout way of saying it, but that's that's pretty much where it starts from. Is kind of that uh, that sort of link between the two companies, basically. And um, so, you know, you had said that you had asked him about, like, when he said, how about Resident Evil? And he mentioned Resident Evil 2 and you were super excited. Um, why Resident Evil 2 specifically, not the original game um, or any other game in the series? And, and was that something, you know, Capcom maybe had a hand in or? Uh, I'm sure that was the case. By the time I was in, became involved with the project, um, it was set as Resident Evil 2. And I did ask that at the time, and and there were a couple of different reasons that it would be huh, it would be disingenuous to pretend that we didn't know the remake was coming, uh, which is obviously a fairly big reason for it because obviously it lets you piggyback onto the hype of the uh, of the re-release, um, and we knew that Resident Evil Two is is a massive fan favorite. I mean, arguably, it just is. It's the best game in the series. Um, screw you, Resident Evil Four fans. And um, it's it's the best game in the series, and it's it's definitely one of the most beloved. I mean, even before Remake Landage, you could go on YouTube or 
yeah, Twitch or whatever, and you would find someone streaming them playing it, for example, like 20 years on, that's still happening. And I'm sure it's still happening now. Um, it's just some of those people are playing Remake. But that was really very much the reason why, sort of one of the first reasons. But the second reason is the narrative for Resident Evil 2 is actually quite linear when, the, when you actually sort of boil it down and look at it, which makes it a great starting point and makes it a fairly, if you're building a Resident Evil engine, makes it very straightforward to do that because you are going from point A to point B. Uh, for example, one of the things that came up quite a lot during camp, uh, during the, the Kickstarter campaign was puzzles. And a lot of people saying, well, you know, we really remember puzzles from Resident Evil 2. Yeah, we really like those to go in it. When you actually look at a lot of those puzzles, most of them are take item from point A to point B. And that's pretty much it. And that's really a lot of what the gameplay of Resident Evil 2, the original game, is. Is you start off uh, and then... This definitely happened as I sort of started um, creating sort of like storyboarding out and creating sort of various different points that which we our game would actually play out through. You almost find yourself going in very set patterns as you move your way through the police station, even if you are, for example, even if you are going backwards and forwards, maybe over some floors. Once you actually know what you're doing, it's actually quite straightforward. It's quite linear. So that kind of made it a very good game for that as well. So we talked about our memories of the Kickstarter. How did it feel for you? Uh, when the Kickstarter launched, were you nervous at all? Excited? So, <laughs> so I was at, so very nervous. I think is fair. Uh, if you could envision sitting there looking at a projector and watching a screen and uh, and so on. But in all, in honesty, slightly slightly wired because obviously we did the live stream of the uh, of the game with Matt, mm. uh, which is quite entertaining. Um, but also because I'd literally just got off a plane half hour before that actual live stream oh. uh, flying back into the country from uh, I'm going to say Belgium, I think that's where it was where I just attended the Guild Ball World Team Championships. So effectively I've just come back from the Guild Ball World Cup and literally just land, bundled into an Uber, drive across Manchester to get to HQ jump straight out, literally stop okay, put on the Kendo gunshop shirt okay, let's go and sit in front of the camera now and live stream this game uh, <laughs> and then kind of and then pretty much that's that. And it was literally just blasting through that way. Didn't have time to stop and do anything. Um, so it's really wired, I think, because of that. But at the same time, sitting there and very nervously kind of wondering what's happening with the numbers. So it was good. It, 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 it felt it felt good. I mean, the initial relief, the initial relief was fairly, fairly palpable. As soon as like I saw the numbers go up and you know, we hit our target, for example, and you know, passed and started going afterwards. So there's that initial kind of, okay, guys, it's live. Let's see jumps in on it. And of course, as we now know, Adam is in there immediately and you sigh <laughs> two seconds after, I guess. So that's good. So it was a lot of fun. Okay. So this could be a bit of an odd one, but what was the most difficult part of recreating the video game in game form? So the most difficult thing is a lot of part of, um, a lot of, part of game design when you're creating something based on an IP is it's, try it's trying to realize... You're going to have several small victories and several small battles, and I'll I'll qualify that a little bit. But the the most important thing that you have when you're creating a product based on any license is that you have to kind of drill into. We've we've overused this statement before, so apologies to anybody who's listened to me talking about this. But our approach is very much you drill into the game and find out what the core DNA of that game is. So we had to kind of identify, you know, what what are what makes Resident Evil Resident Evil experience. You know, what is it? 
is it the fact that you're running out of ammo is it that survival horror sense is it you know the tension jumping out things you know is it kind of the audio is it the soundtrack is it the combat mechanics is it you know any number of different things and it's really a case of sometimes when you're establishing that there are little bits and pieces you have to leave behind because they just simply don't work or they don't fit into what the game is that you envision um i know for example resident evil 2 we originally when we were sort of designing it i had and I put, I put some pictures on the Kickstarter updates of this, but my first attempt at a police station scenario was one big scenario that took about... Well, I, I speed run it. I sped, speed run through it and did it in about two hours, but I can imagine players who don't necessarily know what they're doing, that's that's like a five, six-hour game, <laughs> if that makes sense. That was huge. Um, and at that point, of course, we had save points, which kind of respawned you if you died and stuff. This is obviously very early development. Um, and it's just a case of sometimes... I think the biggest change I had there, for example, was trying to keep the same sense of what the game was, but also knowing that we'd have to break it up into scenarios. That was probably the biggest challenge, I think, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, going on from that, sort of you talking about it being at one big map at one point, uh, mm. which element or elements of the game had the biggest changes during development? Uh, I mean, obviously, we could talk about dice, which we know was a thing that happened post-Kickstarter. There was a lot of feedback about the difficulty spike of what the dice represented, and a few of you veterans will probably remember that. Mm. Um, but oh. from a pure design point of view, the, probably the biggest change was uh, how corpse markers, corpse markers worked. Very early on, um, well, that, and that kind of ties back into the idea I, I think I mentioned in the pre-chat, as it were, we originally had a dungeon master character, an umbrella player, who was controlling all of the zombies and all of the enemies. Um, and that really sort of steered us a lot towards kind of... The original concept that Matt came up with is the players are moving around and there's various different corpses dotted around and the umbrella player chooses when to stand those corpses up and when to come after characters, but they aren't aware of it because they have line of sight and you can kind of creep up on people or break open doors and all sorts of bits and pieces like that. That we went away from relatively quickly, basically purely because I knew that that was a misstep purely on the basis that although I love the idea of a sort of Raccoon City RPG kind of game, it was also something where we knew a lot of our audience would be video game uh, video gamers coming into this who aren't traditionally board gamers. And hey, if I sort of sit, if I sit down with a tabletop gamer and say, hey, one of you has to be a DM, then they immediately get that. If I say that to a bunch of video gamers, it's like, what's a DM? And there's kind of a discussion point there, which which then obviously goes to the next progression, which is what? You mean I have to lose? I can't play with everybody else and win? And that kind of sucks. So we kind of went away from that. But probably the biggest and most, the one, the disappointment I have the most about something we had to change was uh, corpses. Originally with zombies, you could hit them a few times. The first, they had two wounds. The first time you dropped off a wound, they dropped down and became a corpse marker. And whenever you were in a certain range of squares, uh, and you did a test, they basically, you had to roll a dice and see whether they stood back up again. That was really thematic, but it caused us so many headaches in terms of so many extra tokens, so much for a crowded board space, so many extra dice rolls anytime a character did anything. It basically just really slowed everything down, detracted from the game experience to the point where we streamlined it through. And that's eventually what became the tough hide card. So you were talking about enemies there for a second. Is there any particular enemy or boss that you were most excited to design? The moth. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> good answer. So moth, I, I can actually tell you some anecdotal bit on the moth. The moth was... Um, he wasn't originally going to be in the game at all. 
Uh, th- th- that's the flowered mission from this podcast. Few <laughs> gasps. Uh, the boss originally <laughs> was just something where, I mean, I've played Resident Evil 2. I'm guessing you guys have as well. I'm fairly confident of that. The moth, like, it doesn't really do anything in the game. It just kind of sits on there. I'm guessing it was designed by the work experience kid or something, and they thought they put it in. Um, it kind of just sits on the wall, and you run in the room, and it doesn't really. It just sort of flops about a bit, really, and that's it. And if for that very reason alone, we kind of there's no real gameplay to add to this thing. Like, this doesn't really mean anything in our game, so we probably won't worry about it too much of design. And then, of course, the campaign kicked off and took us by such surprise. I remember getting, uh, uh, having a jumping on a chat with our sculptor Russ and saying, "Okay, so we need to make a giant moth." And he kind of just—I could almost feel him rolling his eyes down. The, I could almost feel him rolling his eyes down the Skype. And he's like, "Okay, so, so tell me, what does a Resident Evil moth look like?" I'm like, "Okay, so like a normal moth, make it like three, four hundred percent bigger, and then shrink the walls down, the wings down so small that it would never be able to actually fly." <laughs> and he's going, <laughs> and, and he's going. Oh, okay, so that's going to look ridiculous. I'm like, yes, welcome to welcome to me. And then, of course, I found this little YouTube clip of someone fighting it, which it's a moth. It takes about ten seconds. I was like, this is the thing we're making. And he just rolled. Yeah, he just laughed at me. So, okay, I'll I'll make your moth. Um, <laughs> I don't know. In all seriousness, I think the uh, hmm, I think the liquor. I think I was most happy with. I think it plays a lot like a liquor. It's a scary thing. Um, we managed to get in the bit where it jumps at you and slashes you. We managed to get in the tongue. Uh, we managed to get the part where it sli- sort of uh, scuttles after you. I think the liquor, even though it's a fairly basic one, still mm. feels like a fairly nice design. Yeah, that makes sense. Ac- yeah, it is accurate. Definitely a stressful enemy. The the fact that it just tails you is a great mm. great addition. If you can't yeah. kill it there and then, you've got a nightmare. Well, the the liquor it, the liquor was purposely put. Well, it's useful that it appears where it does in the video game anyway, in the original video game, but. The liquor personally appears in the place it does in the board game because it forces players to realize you can't kill everything. So don't try. Mm. Um, it's, I would tell people this when I was doing demos to them, the game at Gen Con or various other places. And I'd sort of sit there and say, okay, so guys who start downstairs, you you have to deal with the liquor and that's going to require quite specialist tactics to be able to get past that. So just keep that in mind as you play. Um, and of course, that's it teaches you basically to lure enemies into rooms shut the door behind them, and then run away as quickly as you can. And the amount of times I've seen that no escape card come up and unleash the liquor the mm-hmm. second after they've just shut the door in its face is truly incredible. <laughs> um, it, it's really good. So, Well, speaking of fighting monsters then, was it difficult to differentiate the weapons so that they all felt accurate to the game, making them a bit different? Yes and no. So the, uh, I think the core weapons, yes. Um, you know, shotgun, bowgun, grenade launcher, even, you know, handguns, all that stuff fell into place very, very quickly. Uh, the biggest challenge was the Gatling gun. Uh, the submachine gun we had a fairly good idea for, and the flamethrower kind of went through a bit of a confusing state, and then suddenly we just hit upon exactly how we wanted it to be, and it landed quite nicely. Um, the spark shot and the Gatling gun were the challenging two. So I remember uh, the spark shot being, well, they, like, that was late, wasn't it? Uh, or am I misremembering? Uh, no, no, no. It's uh, the spark shot is it's a late game addition, and it's weird, isn't it? I, I, it's one of those ones. It's one of the true elements of few elements of uh, the Resident Evil Two game. I don't fully comprehend in terms of the sounds so conceited. I don't mean it to. It just it, it's one. Of, it's, it's one of these. It's a grey area. It's almost witchcraft using the original spark shot. 
Because you can shoot a zombie with that, and the zombie doesn't care at all. And then you can hit Birkin with that, and it just saps a huge amount of, it, of his health. And I don't understand what the difference is. It's almost like the more the bigger the target you hit, the more damage it does, if that makes sense. It's almost like it's a percentage of its health or something along those lines. Mm. Mm. Um, and I don't know what the I don't know the mechanics enough behind it. And unfortunately, Capcom can tell us because guess what? All the people who worked on it have since moved on to other bits and pieces or whatever else. So it was something where I, I wasn't I couldn't discern it. And the Sparkshot went through quite a few iterations of you know, it only works on bosses or it does extra damage to bosses or, you know, we even had subtypes for enemies and things at some <laughs> point. Um, but it, all of that was just adding so much extra complexity and so much extra stuff. We eventually landed on, well, Henry, how about the whole thing? Like, how about when it just hits someone, it pushes them because it, it hits it. And that's exactly what it does in the game. It stuns an enemy and pushes them back a bit. So maybe we just do that. Um, although I will admit, I will admit that the weird thing about it was that actually came out as a result of a typo on our playtest cards because anybody who played the original game will know that the spark shot, you actually shoot someone with it and the, the impact of it shoots Claire backwards. Hmm. Um, recoil. Exactly. And people misread that and thought it pushed the enemies. Hmm. Um, and we kind of went, okay, that works much better than the character having a recoil thing. Let's do that. They just jumped on it. So that, that was the one, I think. Uh, th- those two weapons, the Gatling gun and the uh, and the spark shot, are the most difficult ones. Speaking about the the play testing of of the game, um, do you do all of that in house, or, or do you actually have like groups of external play testers that you're you're kind of like ask feedback for? Hmm. So we have uh, obviously we do an awful lot of internal play testing of our QA department, our QA team, and then uh, and then we have like a, an internal group of Steamforge staff who sort of stay after they finish their normal jobs to hang out and play games and stuff as well as obviously the development team as well. But we do have, I think for Resident Evil 2, we had, I'm going to say, three external teams, I think, for the... It's, sorry, it's a little while ago now. We, I think we had three external teams, if memory serves, for Resident Evil 2. Um, and, yeah, we well, we have various different ones for different games at any given time. And, and occasionally it's a case of just borrow some players from somewhere else to get a fresh set of eyes on the game, uh, which is why it makes it difficult to say exactly what you have. Because one thing that we obviously like to test with these is we have one group who are really very much kind of, um, for want of a better term, those kind of fluffy, kind of characterful gamers who aren't necessarily looking for a super experience, a super competitive game, but they just want to play the game, you know, for the theme and enjoy it. We have other groups who are built around kind of they love the ripping apart the core mechanics of things to try and understand how it works, what's under the hood. Uh, we have other groups who. Yeah, we'll, we'll main on one game and occasionally drop in another one from to play test and see kind of, you know, so we read the rule book and this bit didn't make sense to us because they haven't been involved from the beginning. So that's super useful to get their interpretation of things. Bits and pieces like that. Interesting. So this is quite a nice question. What aspect of the board game are you most proud of? Uh, that's tough. Hmm. I can tell you the part I've enjoyed the most, purely because I think we, and I think everybody involved with Resident Evil 2 really did a fantastic job of understanding what the game is they were working on and what they and just how to get it right. And it felt good to get it done. Uh, and I'm going to kind of lean into that and cheat a little bit. I think the best piece, the best thing that anyone has said of our game uh, was, I think it was Polygon, but. The best thing that I've I've read about our game was that someone basically said this possibly emulates the original Resident Evil 2 better than the remake does. 
And <laughs> I'm not going to get into whether that's accurate or not, and I necessarily anything else. But that was really high praise, and that really hit home. So I think, I guess, I guess the bit I'm bit I'm most proud of is in a cop out answer is the way the community has embraced it and seems to really enjoy it. Well, off the highs of what you're most proud of, are there any aspects that you are disappointed with? Mechanically, I wish that special attacks were a bit tighter. Um, I'd probably want to revisit those. I mean, I think they work. I don't think the Vigor Mortis card, for example, is a bad thing to have in the deck. Um, and I don't think necessarily the frequency of how they work and so on work is bad. I just think that there's probably a little bit more mileage we could have had to do some more characterful stuff with some of the enemies. Um, a lot of it was kind of... A lot of Resident Evil was really kind of streamlined, you know, to make it as... Keep the game moving at quite a pace. It's quite a fast-paced game. We wanted it to be something where it wasn't burdened or slowed down by much. So I think special attacks is one area for me that perhaps we oversimplified perhaps a fraction too much. And we could have walked back to get us perhaps a different experience. But um, I think that's, if I'm going to point to anything, that's probably the immediate one. So um, I'm going to jump on to, unfortunately, another question where maybe it's a bit more shaky ground. But the, a lot of people have spoken about the darkness on the tiles. Mm -hmm. um, what was the design philosophy behind that, um, as well as the door tokens, not the actual model doors, stairs and corpses? Was that like a Capcom thing to evoke like the darkness of the remake? Or, or did tiles come out dark and anticipate, or is it something that you wanted them to look like? So it's it's kind of um, it's kind of a combination of all three, honestly, uh, if, I, if I speak fairly frankly about it. Um, I think the tiles came out a fraction darker than what we were expect expecting. However, I will I will kind of go away from that a little bit or a fraction by saying a lot of the tiles the tiles looked the way they do for the most part because I think it was best summed up by someone in I believe it was the Facebook comments, but it could have been uh, Kickstarter comments as well, which is this is a Disneyland, um, and I, I quite like that as a description <laughs> to be quite honest because. It is Resident Evil. It is supposed to be a very scary. It's supposed to be a very unhappy environment for a character to be in, like especially if the remake where it's a lot of areas are literally just pitch black and you have a torch. Um, some aspects of that, I think we definitely wanted to that atmosphere. We definitely wanted to fit into our game, and one of the ways you do that is by conjuring up an area which is you know your characters almost should feel it's the contrast from light to dark areas. You should feel like you're running through a dark area to get from a light source to a light source, if that makes sense. You are literally just jumping from place to place, and that's safety. Uh, almost a similar sort of philosophy to what you might have had. Um, I mean, uh, the game Alan Wake pushed that to its absolute extreme. If you sort of, if anyone's played that and you yeah. understand it, you, yeah. you really have that same yeah. sort of sense of Resident Evil, where you are literally doing that. And we wanted to evoke that feeling. Um, obviously, everything went through Capcom anyway. Obviously, nothing for Resident Evil 2, the board game, didn't go through Capcom. And we had a lot of chats with those guys about how to get the best sense of what the you know what the universe was and and how you know they've saw the game as well as you know we did for example that sort of stuff. So it, it's a combination of all three. Yeah, I would like to just throw it on the end of that. Actually, um, I was definitely when I saw the proofs, I was kind of a bit bummed out about the darkness. But when I actually got the the game in my hands, they actually weren't as dark as uh, what I saw. So I I think that they're fine with that. Yeah, I'm going to jump in here and say, you know, after Remake 2's come out, I would argue that the, the tiles, they're not that dark. I don't get why people are kicking off so much, but that's just me personally, I think. 
Yeah, um, I'm also in agreement, although I've been accused of sucking up already. So um, I, do, I, think when, <laughs> I think when you're playing the game, you're not... I mean, the tiles are designed to be generic on purpose, so they're reusable in as many mm. different locations. And you don't really notice particularly what's on them while you're playing because you're more focused on the actual gameplay. So it never really struck me particularly. Um, you kind of already answered this, but we did get someone asking who your favourite character is to play as at the moment. I don't know if maybe you want to give a runner-up, perhaps? Uh, sure. I mean, I yeah, it's definitely if the moment is Brad, but in truth, you're asking me to choose which one of my children's favourite. <laughs> um, I'll tell you my least favourite, which is Sherry. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't necessarily enjoy playing as Sherry very much. Weirdly, the one I think I've I've kind of is a stranger runner up to go with this um is advanced claire um it's amazing how much change that cult saa actually makes to her damage output um and how it changes the way that she plays um and obviously i guess the other guy i go with always is kendo um, i really love playing as kendo he's just so much fun and part of me always wants that poor guy to actually live this time <laughs> around we get to you know we get to have our revisionist bit of history and get him out uh, another question uh, what's your favorite expansion Retro Pack, without second of doubt. Uh, the first time I saw the artwork for Retro Pack, I fell in love immediately. Um, and I've never played the game without the Retro Pack. Um, never once. That <laughs> Are we said, good to spoil this little secret? or Sorry? Know. Are we good to spoil the little secret in the Retro Pack, or should we leave that? Mm. No, no, I think we can probably spoil it. I mean, that, that was always... The Retro Pack, I knew that that was always there for the fans. Um it was always something where the retro pack was it, it, it literally it, it's there if, if you played the original game then you'll probably love the retro pack and if you didn't or you're a pure board gamer the retro pack literally means nothing to you mm. and i completely understand and respect that but mm. there we knew that there were little bits and pieces we could put in the retro pack to emulate that and the uh putting in the rebecca chambers new recruit card <laughs> as the 50th card you draw from the item deck felt very 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 thematic uh, to throw in there <laughs> Oh yeah, fifty. Oh, fifty searches. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Penny's just dropped. Yeah, <laughs> oh. that's it. Was I remember having to explain that to our graphic designer because all of the cards, obviously, in our game, in our deck, went in in a very specific order, as you guys know, for the tutorial system we adopted for teaching people how to play. And I kind of went, okay, so we're not worried about doing that for the retro pack. And I could, and the guys like. Oh, thank God for that. Like, it was so much hassle trying to sort all those cards in order. And I'm like, except for this one. <laughs> the one that has to go in there in the 50th position. He's just like, and he's, he's kind of like, really? You're a madman. I'm like, trust me, they'll love it. Like, you know, like when they get Nobody it, they'll really get it. That. Nobody knew until you just said that. I know. It's depressing, isn't it? My, my, uh, <laughs> it's that extra little bit of detail that yeah, you put in there. I love so, it. You say that, right? I said that to the guys at Gorilla when we went over to pitch Horizon Zero Dawn. And it's worth it for what their reaction alone. They were like, these guys really know what they're talking about when they have that <laughs> level of detail in their game. So we're like, yeah, that's right. So yeah, that's cool. What were your favorite ideas that didn't make it into the final version of the game? Uh, that's a really good question. So obviously the corpse is going down um, and then remaining on the floor, if that makes sense. I, I like that quite a lot. Um mm -hmm. It's a shame that we had to lose that one. Uh, and I do genuinely love the idea of an RPG, of a Resident Evil RPG set in Raccoon City. So that was a... I'm waiting yeah. for you to write that one. I want the I want the giant board. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'll, I'll see what I can do. 
Um, <laughs> um, There's Rocket City. It's the size of a house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, mean, I remember we had one guy. I don't know what happened to him. We had one guy in the uh, during the Kickstarter who was saying he was going to get two copies of the game and play A and B playthrough at the same time. <laughs> um, legend. I don't. I don't ever know I what remember that. that guy. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know if he's out there somewhere playing those two. If you <laughs> yeah, are, he's still playing I, it. He's yeah, out there I, still playing it. I salute you if you are, because B files, as I will find out very soon, is a hard mode play uh, way of playing the game. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm hearing, I'm seeing everyone's posts about what's the the hardest scenario you did, and they're all, <laughs> oh yeah, this in the B files. I'm like, oh cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, B files is where like um, it really switches on. Um, in terms of the difficulty, like you can play through A file and then you get there, and then B files is like, okay, so you played the game now, we're going to throw stuff at you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know what else was there. I mean, we originally had Ivies going on their sides and sort of whipping you as you run past and stuff. <laughs> that was cool. Um, which again, removed for complexity's sake. Plus, we were running out of Ivy models, uh, which is obviously one thing. So I think probably those bits um, off the top of my head. Again, it's we'll see where we get to. So. Obviously, we want to know how you feel about the community. You've talked about it before, but someone specifically asks, well, how do you feel about the homebrewing that's going on now with people making their own maps, making their entire like games based on the first Resident Evil, um, all kinds of pieces like different doors and walls and stuff. And someone asks, is there anything you've seen the community come up with that has made you go, damn, that's a good idea. Why didn't I think of that? Do you know, the honest answer to that is you guys got the damn why didn't i think of that one with the ink ribbons and the typewriters um so originally this was actually came about of a slight miscommunication between matt um matt and i when we were first designing it in matt's head always the uh, uh the ten if the tension deck ran out it would always be game over there was no that was just always in the always in there when i first sat down and started designing this that wasn't the case um so by the time we get to kickstarter it isn't until well actually no it's a lie let's just rewind a fraction before we get to the kickstarter where we actually took the prototype to uh to capcom and we sit down with a guy called stefano lovely guy who's our kind of liaison and um and i've sort of talked to them for a while, okay so this is resident evil and it's ultimately the demo that we eventually ended up taking to gen con and various other shows and I'm like, okay, so this is how it plays, and I'll teach you how to play the rules and stuff. And then Matt suddenly goes, by the way, if the tension deck runs out, it's game over. And I'm thinking, no, it isn't. That's not how it works. That's not how I've designed this. And then anyway, so fortunately enough, they managed to get through without the tension deck running out, but it put them a real pressure on them. So at that point, we realized, okay, so that's now how that has to be. And um, it's interesting because as, you know, the... Uh, the, the experienced Resident, Resident Evil veteran that I am, I never really put that much stock or interest in typewriters whatsoever or ink ribbons because, hey, if I play Resident Evil 2, I never save. I just mm-hmm. burst through the whole thing and do that. Um, so I never kind of designed it with any aspect of that, and it wasn't until the actual community was talking um, during the actual Kickstarter campaign asking us to put in ink ribbons and typewriters and stuff. And uh, Steve, uh, one of the one of the guys I ended up working with a bit on this called Steve Marks and one of our designers, we were kind of spitballing ideas around about how we could introduce them. And that's really where the two things got added together um, in terms of, oh yeah, we could use typewriters to reset the game and therefore reset the deck. So that way you can keep going. And that's really the, bir- the sort of birthplace of that. In terms of actual stuff I've seen, I mean, the community, I think it's awesome, the community that we have. Um, I love our Resident Evil 2 community. 
um, you guys really are awesome. And it's really fun to see the different ideas you have come up with for, you know, RE3 and RE1, various other bits. Um, Chill absolutely is busted as all hell. Um, <laughs> just to confirm that in the, in the game <laughs> design there. But um, it's interesting seeing some of the stuff come up. I mean, I... I try to look at it when I have a bit of time, but at the same time, I'm also slightly hesitant to do it because I think some aspects of it, I, I like the fact that it's the fans kind of taking something yeah. and making it their own, and I don't almost want to... I almost don't want to necessarily sort of taint that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I like the kind of the do-it-yourself kind of, the DIY kind of approach of it, and I don't almost want to taint that too much with jumping in and adding comments here and there or pointers or anything. Okay, so uh, another question. Are there any plans to sell any Kickstarter exclusive items? I don't know the answer to that question. Unfortunately, you need one of my guys in the marketing team or the sales team. I mean, I imagine that's... I think at the moment, we're literally just moving on the start, the stock that we have of those things still, if that makes sense. I know that a couple of them appeared in the online store. But as some people in the community have correctly identified... That's just a case of, you know, once you've shipped everything out, there's bits and pieces that you're left over with. And, you know, we'd much rather fans out there get to play with the stuff rather than us kind of, you know, have to sit on a shelf gathering dust kind of thing. So there's um, your answer, go on to the web store. Uh, <laughs> yeah, basically. But at the same time, I honestly couldn't tell you whether there's plans of that sort of stuff. I We usually avoid doing that because obviously, you know, they're Kickstarter exclusives for a reason. But, um, yeah. So leading on from that, um are you aware if there'll be any future expansions or any new sculpts, such as Sherry, Birkin, and Claire's Vest, has been done with other Steamforge products? Any chance of the original Hunk sculpt that was later changed appearing as an exclusive alternative in the future? Uh, so Hunk, definitely not. Uh, that was a Capcom request to change Hunk to look the way he did. Um, and that the, the older sculpt, unfortunately, won't be returning. Um, that was something Capcom very specifically said. Uh, in terms of anything else, I mean, again, that's really for uh, that's really for our production team rather than myself uh, to answer. I know that. Um, no, I, I probably shouldn't talk about that. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'll drop it. Uh, there, there's, there's no. That's, at some point, uh, at some point, there is something maybe, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> First day spray exclusive. First day yeah. exclusive. <laughs> yeah, there, there almost was. There was something, <laughs> maybe. You heard yes. it here first. Yeah. So, speaking of Capcom, um, what has the response been from Capcom on the reaction of the board game? So, uh, when we went to the Resident Evil launch event that was in London, I remember talking to you about this one, Cy. Um, mm. I was pleasantly surprised to be chatting to some of the guys at Capcom there, uh, Capcom Europe, and they told me basically that the whole bunch of them played it at lunchtime um, in Capcom. <laughs> uh, they have it and they set it up and they've played it a whole bunch of times and they love it, um, which is really nice, you know, when Capcom are sort of saying this. I did see that the original Resident Evil 2 director actually has a set as well. That's uh, true, yeah. Um, which was super cool. Uh, there was something so if I have a favorite Resident Evil 2 moment, a Resident Evil 2 board game moment, it's a weird thing to know that the guy who made the game that I love now has the game that I made that apparently he loves. So that's <laughs> that's really that felt really really good. Um, but no, in in truth, it's um, as far well from everything that Capcom told us, they're really big fans. Uh, they and we they know we've worked we're working with them for 
you know, a little while now and they know that we're extremely respectful of any of their properties and you know what they want us to do and stuff and um yeah we know that you know we know how to play resident evil we know how to emulate that and they really appreciate the care we've taken with their games so it seems good so uh how successful has the game been thus far and at what point do you know if there is enough support for additional re games if you can tell us uh, in terms of the actual raw support, that part, I mean, I, I sorry, in terms of the um, the raw success of it, I mean, I know we're all extremely happy. We um, were slightly nervous with the Kickstarter, for example, going into it, going, well, this game's almost 20 years old. Will there be that much community, you know, will there be that many people out there who want to see that game? And that was mostly from a lot of the guys in sort of, yeah, finances and uh, production stuff. And there's me quietly confident going, I think you'll be surprised kind of thing. Um but no, we're extremely, extremely happy with the game, uh, with the reception. I mean, everyone has been so, so super positive about it. It's been really, really nice to see, um, and it's lovely to see that people are asking us for, you know, to make another, to make another RE game. Um, I think that support certainly seems to be there within the community. So nice. Um, so, Resident Evil Two being your favourite game in the series. Um, uh... if, if- Ooh, not, no, it's not. But, okay. Oh, sorry. I, I apologize. That that was one of I, my I, favorite I games to... for sure. Okay, let's reword it. Since Resident Evil Two is one of your favorite games in the series, <laughs> uh, would you, would you want to be the lead on another entry in the series if it came about, or was that something you would prefer someone else to maybe head up? Uh, I would probably kill whoever the individual who took it away from my cold, dead fingers would be. And, um, <laughs> um, quite frankly, uh, so I could work on another RE game if that's the case. And uh, to be fair, I don't think that anyone at Steamforge would try to do that either. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and Sai is laughing because he knows what my favourite game is. <laughs> I do indeed. Jaden. You would not... Yes, I I would desperate I would kill to make a Resident Evil guiding game. At this point, I would know I would buy it as well. <laughs> it would be awesome. Uh, yes. <laughs> Resident Evil guiding expansion exclusive here. Oh, <laughs> so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, with that being said, thank you again to everyone who asked questions. Nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors. If you'd like to be part of the show, then please look into auditioning for our file readings. One way to get in touch is to email us at fasprayPod at gmail.com. But of course, the best course of action is to join our Discord server, where you can also ask questions for the bite-sized discussion, discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans, and listen to the podcast live as it's being recorded. The link to the server is in the description of this podcast, and also on our social media platforms. You can follow us on Twitter at fasprayPod, on Instagram at fasprayPod, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash FA Spray Pod. You can find this podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify and iTunes and if you enjoyed the show then please do leave us an iTunes review if you can. It helps spread the word. Our next episode will be hot on the heels of this one as we have had a few weeks between time lots of things readjusting and schedule and such but our next episode will be focusing on Rebecca Chambers in the first of our profile series where we take a look at every appearance by a certain character so looking forward to doing that one thank you to the panel you can follow us all individually I'm at Cyniac underscore one two three Steve is at Firebutton Games Sherwin is at Sherwin's Agenda and you can find Adam on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Mr Lucky Paint and finally Thank you for listening and have a good week.
yeah, everyone <clears throat> go around the, the, the room and say some words, please. Steve, say some words. No, yes, I can say some words. I actually really, really need to go to the toilet, so I'll be right back where you can test everyone else. <laughs> Adam, say some words. Professional. <laughs> I do not need to go to the toilet. I'll wait till we start recording. <laughs> Show and say some words. Words, yes, words. Magnificent things. Perfect. There are many of them. Yes. <laughs> I do, I do like the way that Facebook Steve, meanwhile, has muted his mic. I'm, co- I'm, I'm now concerned <laughs> that he's actually recording this in the bathroom. I also like Facebook Steve. FB stands for Fire Button, which is his YouTube channel, but I might just call him Facebook Steve no, from now on. Now he's Facebook Steve. I don't know. I, I see things. It's an abbreviation, right? Sherwin, he's definitely Facebook Steve. He's always been Facebook Steve. But he's on Facebook, right? So, job done. Uh, ergo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that must be what it is. Come back, Facebook Steve. We need to record. <laughs> he's too busy on Facebook, as usual. <laughs> well, I assume that's because he owns Facebook. He's actually a multi I'm professional. I'm back. I'm clean of everything else. Right. 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 I just wash my hands, that's all. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we were laughing about something completely unrelated. I promise. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we weren't laughing at you, Steve. We were laughing about you. Oh, <laughs> wow. Well, at least let me know what the joke was. Uh, old old man is out of touch with his audience, apparently. And yeah. The other people on the show. Y- your new name is Facebook Steve. Why am I Facebook? Sp- what? I- because you're FB Steve. Facebook oh. Steve. Yeah, yeah. Right, <laughs> well, no. The answer is: Do you have a Facebook account? I do. Then you're Facebook Steve. <laughs> 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 <laughs>